Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We're in week seven of our series through the book of Revelation. Chapters eight through 11 leave us asking, why does God have to judge the world? God gives everyone the opportunity for second chances, but with grace comes the reality of judgment. Today, Pastor Andy talks about what the world will be like when Jesus brings judgment and how we can be made right with him right now. Enjoy the message. All right, well, we're continuing on our series, Are You Ready? This is our study in the book of Revelation. If you've missed any of them, if this is your first time here at Kenosha City Church, and welcome, uh, but you can go back to kenosha.church and find all the rest of uh, the, the messages that you may have missed, but we're gonna have you just jump right in today and, and uh, make sense of it all. Uh, but again, Revelation was written to us as a warning, as a warning that we need to be ready because Jesus Christ can come back at any moment, at any time. It's less about the how and the when, but the who and the why. And so this book helps us understand that Jesus is king, he's on the throne, and there's not anything in life that is out of his control. Did you know that? It might seem like life is out of control. It might seem like there are disappointments in life that are happening, but I want you to know that Jesus is our rock, okay? Uh, you, you can put your feet firmly planted on, on the sovereignty of God because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so Revelation helps us understand why we can know that Jesus is our rock, why every promise that Jesus speaks or has spoke will come true, and that's because Revelation shows us how it's all gonna culminate. And so when you look at uh, Revelation chapter 1 through uh, 4, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a letter that took place about, well, about 2,000 years ago, really. Uh, the Apostle John uh, wrote to seven churches to say, hey, you need to get ready because Jesus can come back at any moment. But what's really interesting, when you get to chapter 4 and onward, it goes future. And that's where we're at right now. We are in the future. We are in a point of history that we have not gone to yet. This is looking ahead. The awesome thing and why people are so intrigued about the book of Revelation is literally it hasn't happened yet. It is prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled. Last summer, uh, we moved, Alice and I moved into the Forest Park neighborhood, so we live uh, we're walking distance from the church. It's pretty awesome. Well, uh, pastor Will's just a, a couple blocks down the way, all right? So uh, your pastors are in the neighborhood. Uh, and so I remember the first month that we moved into the neighborhood, we had a horrific storm that came through Kenosha. I believe it was like late July, early August. I don't know if you remember that. It caused a bunch of damage. In fact, uh, I was at a, our city group, which was by the, our city group at the time was meeting by the lake. And I was seeing all the weather alerts. I was seeing all the damage reports and the counties behind. I was like, oh man, we're gonna have a big storm coming. So for, so for those of you that are new, um, um, I used to be a storm chaser. In fact, I didn't think I was going to be a pastor. I thought I was going to be a weatherman. And so sometimes when bad weather comes, uh, the old side of me comes up. It's like, all right, let's see if I still got this. All right. So I pulled out my weather radar, my paid weather radar on my phone. Uh, and then I looked up to the sky. Okay, this is old school, right? Everybody has all these instruments now of, and they cheat as far as I'm concerned. You, you got to be trained by just looking at the cloud and knowing what's going to do. All right. So I'm looking at the cloud. I'm looking at the radar. And I'm like, I think I can count down to when this thing's going to happen. All right. And so the storm's coming in. It's looking, it's looking crazy in the sky. It's coming in from the west. And I'm saying, all right, guys. I'm telling my whole life group, we just paused everything. I was like, all right, guy, guys, let's do this. Three, two, one. And when I hit one, I went, whoa, what's going on here? And the storm hit when I said one to, to zero. And literally the winds were just whipping up. Trees started falling down. Power lines started falling down. I'm like, okay, this is cool, but this is destruction in people's yards. I don't know if I'm supposed to celebrate this, right? And I realized, okay, all right, if trees are falling on homes here, what's going on in a home that we just bought? So I traveled back uh, to my house here in Forest Park and Yes, one of our neighbor's trees fell on to our backyard power lines, and the power lines all snapped into our backyard. And by the way, I'm really glad uh, my neighbor's tree fell on the power lines because I got to meet my neighbor that night. We became, we became fast friends, okay? And uh, now he comes to Kenosha City Church, brings his parents. So anyway, hi, how you doing? So anyway... <laughs> So I'm actually glad that tree fell. You know, when something bad's happened, what is actually the good that's going to happen out of it? You know, that's what we always have to look at. So anyway, I digress. Uh, because the power lines were low priority uh, compared to the rest of the lines that were down in town, I think we're out of power for like three nights, if I remember right, correctly. And so one night we stayed at the church, and the other night it's like, oh, let's go home. And so when you're sleeping at home and there's no power in the middle of the night, it's kind of freaky. 
You can hear everything, right? You can hear every creak. You can hear every wind blow against the house. You can hear all the clatter in, a, in the yard. You can hear a neighbor yawning across the street when you don't have power uh, in, in, your, in your home. And so, but the crazy thing is it gets so quiet. Have you ever been in this moment where you can just begin to hear your heartbeat? You're like, oh, that's creaky, right? You can begin to just be aware of your breathing. If you're like me and I've had some hearing loss, you begin to hear the ringing, right? And it's like, oh, this is, this is quiet. And, you know, if you're lying down and it's really quiet, it's kind of weird because if it can become so quiet, it's almost loud, right? But if there's no power in the middle of the night, what do you think Murphy, Murphy's Law is going to say when the power is going to turn back on? In the middle of the night. And that's exactly what happened. I was laying down on my couch in the basement because I was listening to the, you know, the, our, our sump pump. We didn't want it to flood or whatever. And I'm laying down in the basement. All of a sudden, I fall off to sleep in the nice quiet that I don't usually get to hear. And all of a sudden, the TVs turn on. Oh, the lights turn on. Somehow, Alexa turns on music. It is like it's noon in the house when it's midnight. And of course, you know, that's exactly what always happens, right? Have you ever been in that way where you've been, it's been so quiet, and maybe you've been in the dead of a sleep, and all of a sudden, boom, you're woken up. Maybe someone pulls a prank on you. Maybe a fire alarm is going off. Maybe, just maybe, it's something else. Maybe, just maybe, it's a trumpet. Today, we're going to look at some judgments that will come with increased intensity and horror. We're going to see silence in heaven that's going to be broken with judgments that the world has never seen. And somebody like, we just went through some judgments last week. Is it going to get worse? Oh yeah, it's going to get worse. Revelation chapter 8 we will be in today. Chapter 8 and 9 specifically. We're making our way through this. Revelation chapter 8 verse 1. You can turn there in your Bibles. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be on the screen as well if you're new with us. Or you can download the Version Bible app or our Kenosha City Church app. Any of those places would be a good place. But really, take notes, underline your Bible, uh, make, make notes in your margins, whatever it is. Because again, God is going to speak to you and there's no way you're going to remember all this. Because this is a difficult book without unpacking it. All right, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stood in the presence of God... With seven trumpets were given to him. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth with the peals of thunder, rumblings and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The trumpet judgments, along with the final bowl judgment, which we'll talk about uh, after Easter, took place in the second half of the tribulation. The tribulation is seven years of horrific judgments uh, that will take place uh, in the end times. As Jesus began to break the scroll, so Jesus had in his right hand, he had a scroll, and in that scroll, when the seals were broken, the end of the world would begin. And so the last couple weeks, we talked about when he broke six of the seals. When the seventh seal is broken, it begins the trumpet judgments. We begin to see the judgments opened, and when the scroll is opened, uh, you begin to see the judgments and what's going to actually happen. And so, yes, the seals were bad, but the judgments of the, of the trumpet, when the, when the scroll is open, the trumpet judgments are going to be absolutely horrific. They're progressive judgments. Uh, uh, again, we, we remember even just the judgments that we dealt with last week when the seals were being broken. Uh, they were big enough, right? I think they're, to me it's like, okay, God, that, that seems like uh, big enough judgments, right? I, I, think we, I think we get it, but the world didn't get it. Last week we saw the arrival of the Antichrist who set up a world government, bringing the world into a false sense of peace that would r later be... Uh, ushered in by a world war that would result in a worldwide famine and the death of billions of people. But something unique happened at the breaking of the seventh seal. Something unique. As they begin to break the seventh seal and the scroll was ready to be opened, all the worship in heaven, all the sounds of judgment ceased. Heaven, which is usually boisterous with praise and boisterous with worship by the angels and, and, and those who have gone to heaven worshiping Jesus, it became quiet. It became quiet from what scripture says, silence in heaven for about a half an hour. A half an hour of silence in heaven would seem like an eternity. The silence is the calm before the storm. There's great anticipation as God begins to bring out 
the final judgments that will culminate the end of the end. This was prophesied, by the way, by the Old Testament prophet uh, uh, Zephaniah. Zephaniah 1.7. Zephaniah began to prophesy way beyond even the days of Jesus. And this is what he said. Be silent in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord, whenever you see that phrase, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's referring to that great day of when God uh, would bring out judgment amongst the earth. And so when God was about to bring out the greatest of judgments, there was silence. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, the hour of God's final judgment had come. The hour when the saints will be finally vindicated, sin punished, Satan vanquished, and Christ exalted. The greatest event since the fall of, of mankind is about to take place, and all of heaven is seen waiting a suspenseful expectancy. This moment of silence, a half an hour, was interrupted by this. Let's see if I can open this up. There we go. I actually played the trombone, but this is a trumpet, all right? Why do I have a trumpet? I actually don't know, all right? I think someone found it and put it in my office. I'm like, and it's been there for a year, all right? I'm like, why is it still here? This is why it's here. Because the silence of heaven 30 minutes was broken with this. And immediately, peals of thunder and awe and expectation as people began to wonder, what will this look like? What will this culminate? And there just won't be one trumpet blast. There'll be seven trumpet blasts with progressive, hard judgments that will, that will go over all the earth. You know, might be wondering, well, there's been six judgments through the seal judgments when they're breaking the seals. Wouldn't people get it that God was coming back? No, they won't. And we'll see seven progressive judgments called the trumpet judgments. They'll be so horrific the whole world will know it. Trumpets are the most significant musical instrument in scripture used to summon the people of Israel. They were used as an ancient air raid siren for war to announce news, to announce new kings. They were used as an instrument of worship. I promise you I won't play that in worship uh, anymore, okay? And the trumpet is also said to announce the coming of the Lord. Now, someone may say this. As we go through the book of Revelation, it, it gets horrific, and if you're tracking with this, you might wonder, time out, why does God have to do this? We got your point with the first six judgments of the seal judgments. Now we're going under trumpet judgments, and there'll be judgments after that called bowl judgments. I mean, why? Why so many judgments? Why does there have to be judgments at all? I, I, I like the God of love. I like, you know, the Jesus on, on the, uh, you know, the, the, the movie specials, you know. I like him when he just loves us and, and he just kind of, he's kind of kind and, and gentle and he'll die for us. I like the God of mercy and love. This seems like a God of war. I don't like this. If, if you're tracking with this, part of your heart may be asking that question. Why? Why does God have to be this way? Why can't God just forgive, forget, and just be love? Skip the judgment. Come on, do we really have to have that? Can't God make the world a utopia right now? God is good. Those are good questions, by the way, if you've ever had those in your mind. You need to know this, that God is good, even in his hardest judgments. You see, the goodness of God means this, that God sets the standard of what is good. If God is, if, if, if the goodness of God on display, uh, he is our creator God, uh, nothing has come into existence without his word, right? That means that if God is, is over everything in the universe, he is the standard bearer of what is good. The goodness of God means that God sets a standard of what is good, and by contrast, declares what is evil. And evil is sin. And sin is always outside of the will of God, always, and sin will always harm you, no matter what. You might think, oh, you know, this is just a little sin. It doesn't matter. I'm, you know, everybody's doing it. It doesn't hurt. No, it will, it will take you down. Sin will always harm you, no matter what. Sin harms you in the way that you think, in the way that you treat people, the outlook you have on situation. Sin gossips, sin, sin fights, sin lies, sin is impatient, sin redefines. Sin has a, an agenda that is diametrically opposed to the things of God. Do not fall into the cultural thinking that you can be Jesus light, but I'm gonna be heavy on whatever I wanna do. Sin will get you no matter what, 
It will, it will eat away at your heart. It will eat at the way that you think. Now, make no mistake, sin feels good. Oftentimes, sinful things are very desirable. And sin feels natural. When people are like, you know, it's just natural. Just go for it. You know, you hear that a lot of times about sexual things. Or, or maybe you hear a lot, a lot of times just the way that people treat each other. It just feels natural. Let's go for it. It is natural. Your, your natural self, your fallen self, is bent towards sin. You're right. Sin will hinder God's purposes to be lived out in and through you. You want God's best to be lived through you. You must slay the sin that so easily entangles your heart. And without a rescue from our sin, we are hopeless. I want you to know this today. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you're feeling hopeless, I want you to know that there may be a hard situation you're going through. There may be something so gut-wrenching. I don't want to minimize that, but you are not hopeless. Those feelings of hopelessness, I want you to know right now, they are misplaced feelings that are away from the cross and more onto your situation. You need to take your, your, your feelings or your thoughts or your perspectives and you need to put them right back onto the cross because when you put them right back onto the cross, you realize that you have hope. The wages of sin is death. That means the result of our sinful behavior is death. And if that's the end of the story, we would be hopeless. But this is the reason why when we look to the cross, we have all the hope in the world and the universe. It's because God has given us a gift. It's called grace to live another day, to have another chance, to be forgiven from any and all sin that's ever entangled our heart. In fact, I, this is our main point this morning. Write this down. God's grace requires God's judgment. God's grace requires God's judgment. Usually you don't hear uh, grace and judgment in the same statement. Usually you hear grace to advert judgment. It does. But there needs to be judgment if there's really going to be grace. And that's the reason why we're going to see these progressive judgments on the earth. God will forgive and he will forget but that requires him being just. God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. Make no mistake of that, even as we read through the book of Revelation. He's a God of grace and mercy where every, anyone and everyone can experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You just have to have a personal relationship with Jesus to receive it. You must have Jesus. Because without Jesus, we are under condemnation. We're under his wrath. You see, Jesus, he died on the cross to take your punishment of sin. He took on God's wrath in your place. But here's the deal. You must receive Jesus if you're going to receive that promise. If you don't receive his grace, you will be the recipient of God's wrath. Revelation makes that very painfully true for those that live through it. But even for those that don't live through it, uh, they will, they will, it's appointed once for a person to die and then stand before their maker. Scripture is very clear on that. And God will give grace... He'll give grace to anyone who receives it, but without grace, there is wrath. Now, someone might say, well, okay, but why does God have to have wrath? I get it. I get it. Okay, the wages of sin is death. I get it that, you know, the grace has to have judgment. But why can't God, and when we do this, when we, when we ask questions about why can't God, we think we can make an improvement and upgrade on him, right? That's what we're saying. But someone may say, I just want God to be a God of love. Can't he just say, you know what? I know you, weren't, you did these bad things. I know you said these things against me. I know you didn't have belief. I just love you. Come on in. Come on up to heaven. I forgive you, right? Doesn't God just want to make me happy? I mean, I want to live my life the way that I want to live it. And I feel like he's made me to be happy about these certain ways. I love God for that. You see, God didn't demonstrate his love for you to do whatever you want. God demonstrated his love in this way. He sent his son to die on the cross so that you can be forgiven of all the sins that separate you from God. It's called grace, undeserved favor. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourself. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. We see that without Jesus, we are hopeless. Without Jesus, we will, we will try to work our way and make ourselves feel better about the things that we've done in our life. But it's not about that. It's about the grace of Jesus coming into your life, averting the wrath of God that we so richly deserve. Grace in the Bible means to receive undeserved favor. Wayne Grudem puts it this way. Grace is God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Who deserves punishment? We all do. We've all done wrong. We have all fallen short of God's glory. 
But grace changes everything. And it affects everything in the way where we stand before God and how we live. Grace is available to anybody and everybody. You just gotta receive it. And as a result, grace changes our standing before God. Grace also changes the way that we affect people in this world and our kindness and our mercy and our patience. They should be seen from the outside world. People should see a difference from those who attend church, right? Not just those who attend church. People should see a difference with those who have personally placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Because when you personally place your faith and trust in Jesus, guess what? You realize you're not your own. You realize that you've been put on this planet for a specific purpose and reason to follow your maker. People will see a difference. They should see a difference. They're not going to see perfection, by the way. We're all messed up people, right? We all, we all make mistakes. Uh, we all let each other down. But the thing is, people should see redemption in our lives. People should see grace in our lives. And people should see us extending grace towards others. Paul told the Corinthian church, he said this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by the grace of God, we are what we are. Our entire lives should be transformed and be made more like Christ reflecting in grace and mercy and love of Jesus towards others. So where right now, let's just make this personal, where right now do you need to show grace to your family, your friends, or your coworkers, or even strangers? I mean, might I underline strangers? It's usually strangers where we feel like we don't need to extend grace or the goodness of God towards others. Let me give you a good example. Hello, cable company? Two hour away? All right, Sweet. Hey, I really would like to, you know, downgrade my package. Oh, oh okay, you want, you want, I need to, I've been on the phone for two hours, you're going to transfer me? Okay. And then they transfer you and they hang up, right? How many of you have had that happen before? Then you get back on the phone. You wouldn't understand what I'm doing right now. I've been on the phone for two hours. Two hours. And you want to put me on the phone for another two hours? Right? How many of you, how, how many of you, maybe you haven't yelled on the phone like that. You want to do. Just fill in the blank with whatever company or whatever it is. Maybe it's the airlines. I don't know who it is. Right? We feel entitled to strangers. If they treat us in a bad way, guess what? You're just going to get, boop, you're going to get bulldozed right over. Listen, uh, 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 uh. I don't care if you have to be on the phone with the cable company for six hours. That's just the Lord testing you, all right? That is the Lord testing you and your patience. Are you going to demonstrate grace, all right, as you downgrade your cable package and upgrade your internet speeds? Grace is free for the taking. We are to be people of grace, grace, and more grace. Grace is what Jesus gives. Every other religion, culture, uh, um, po political profession, it says this. It says, prove yourself. You're not good enough. Try harder. Do better. Darned if you do. Darned if you don't. Perfectionism. We are freed from that, church. We're freed from that. Grace says, come to Jesus, all those who are weary, and I'll give you rest. You know, Jesus doesn't say, get over here. How dare you? I'm going to show you some grace. Get over here undeserved favor right no he's like come to me all you are weary i'm gonna give you rest oh, no, no 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 jesus you don't understand what i just did he understands you don't understand i, I I've, I've done this 35 times now jesus what come to me i'm gonna give you rest all you who are weary that's grace grace is free it's free for the taking for anybody and everybody who receives it. But I want you to know what it took for you to receive grace. It took our Savior dying on the cross and taking on the full wrath of God in that moment. Grace is free, but don't abuse it or take it lightly. When Jesus was on the cross, people hurled insults. They spat on him, and, and, they, and they hurled all sorts of just abusive things to him. And when we abuse grace, we aren't, it's, we aren't physically there in front of the cross but it's like we are just hurling insults at Jesus, spatting at him. Now, you know what? Uh, I, Jesus, I know that you forgive me, so I'm going to go do this this weekend, all right? I'm going to have a bad weekend, okay? And so, but on Monday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for forgiveness, okay? Right? That's the equivalent of you being at the foot of the cross, hurling insults. If you're really God, then get down from that cross. Oh, look at him. Look how weak he is. You're like, I would never say that. Listen, here's the deal. When you live a life of cheap grace, you're hurling insults to him on the cross. Grace is free, but know what it cost. Jesus provides the grace from the cross. He proved it with an empty grave. And for those that reject Jesus, grace, uh, the judgments of God through his wrath is reserved for them. 
God's grace requires God's judgment. We worship a God of grace, but also a God of justice. Now, let's define justice, because this is another word that has been just torn to shreds in the last few years. Justice is this, biblically. God always acts in accordance with what is right, and that he himself is the final standard of what is right. So God always acts in accordance with what is right, and he himself the final standard of what is right. Because God is good, he determines what is just. This is important because the word justice has been thrown around today like a political and cultural football. Justice is typically tied to issues such as reconciliation, abortion, immigration, marriage, and a number of other issues or, or whatever the mainstream media wants to make the issue of that day. And often the aim of justice is for you to pick a side that will be the right side of history. We've heard this before. You know, you just, you need to be on the right side of history, right? You're like, oh yeah, I want to be on the right side of history, right? What they're saying is you want to be with the in crowd, the bigger crowd, and the one that's going places, right? That's what they mean by the right side of history. And listen, here's the deal. You, you, you do want to be on the right side of history, but I'm not saying that whatever is popular or whatever the historians are writing, we need to be on God's right side of history, Amen? Because what we are fallen and our hearts are fallen, we cannot create justice. And we need to know that. We can only recognize what God has said and seek to lean into his justice. Does that make sense? We are not justice creators. We are justice recognizers of the character of God of what he said. Culture will try to excuse what God has clearly said in his word. And they'll call that justice. But that's a lie. Justice is calling into account every sin and simple action and finding the forgiveness, not through revenge, but grace that's found at the cross. The cross is the answer to all of the world's problems. Like, man, that sounds so simple. It's not simple. The, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth became the God-man, came to this world to suffer, to die on the cross, to take all of our sin debt, every bad action all of humanity has done in all of time in that one moment. That was not a simple action. That was the center of history. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. But to anyone who rejects Jesus, wrath will be poured on them. And this will be seen through the judgments of Revelation. And as we get towards the end of Revelation, we'll see at the final judgment. When all the judgments come through, uh, and towards the end of time, when Jesus Christ comes back, they'll be called what's the final judgment. The final judgment is this, the last and ultimate proclamation by Jesus Christ of the eternal destiny of all people, which take place after the millennium. You're like, what's the millennium? We'll talk about that later. And the rebellion that occurs at the end of it. So basically, just know this, at the end of time, the last action of time is our judgment. And so, let's go ahead and put a chart up here just so you can see this. The, the final judgment, we're right now in the church age, the seven-year um, seven tribulation, that's where all the judgments we've been talking about the last few weeks, that occurs in that seven years where, where the church is taken up uh, to uh, avert the judgments. Then you have a 1,000-year millennium. Don't worry about that right now. We'll talk about that later. But after the millennium is when everybody will face the Lord God, and they'll be judged. Did they know Jesus Christ or not? His justice allows for the grace of Jesus to be, take, to be given to all because Jesus paid it all. And, for, and those uh, saved are those who have received him. Some may see God as being a tyrant because not everyone goes to heaven, but no, rather it's grace. People are like, I just can't get over that. Not everybody will go to heaven. I want you to know nobody should go to heaven. we got to flip that equation. Do we deserve heaven? No. For the, wages of sin, for, for the wages of sin is death, right? We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Without Jesus coming to this earth, we would be hopeless. None of us deserve heaven. But Jesus Christ came so that every single person can have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and receive forgiveness in heaven, God's grace requires God's judgment. Grace is only operational if judgment occurs. You can't have the favor of God if God's an unjust God. God is unjust if he doesn't execute his judgment. So again, uh, we see here uh, that we are going to be now be going into what's called the trumpet judgments. These are our second set of judgments. Happens again in that, that uh, between the church age and the millennium. This is the, what we call... Uh, the Great Tribulation. It's a seven-year period of three sets of horrific judgments. Now, some people believe that Christians will walk all the way through that. I have, I've made the case in the last couple of weeks, I believe the church will be caught up and protected from that during those seven years. So I don't believe the church will go through those horrific times. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, oops, all right? So again, 
there's, there's, different, there's different views of people that, are, are, that I would say are, are faithful to Scripture. Um, there are definite, uh, again, it's not about the how or the when, and so there's going to be some speculation here. I do believe, because God said in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he told the Thessalonian church that we are not destined for wrath, okay? And so because these are clearly actions of God's wrath, I believe that God is going to hold us and take us up to be averted from that wrath from the world, all right? Now, people during that seven years will continually give their life to Christ, but it'll come at a high cost. Many of them will be martyred, okay? So that's that seven-year time between the church age and the millennium, all right? Now, let's take a look at some of the, again, and here's another chart. This will be the last one of the day. Some of you are like, oh, no, more. Some of you are like, please. All right, so we've got, these are the, the first uh, seal one all the way to uh, the seventh seal, this is what we've gone over the last couple of weeks, these progressive judgments across the earth. Again, I don't believe the church is going to experience this. Um, some believe we will, okay? But the seventh seal is interesting. The seventh seal actually opens up a whole new set of seven judgments called the trumpet judgments. And that's what we are going to talk about today. Does that make sense? All right, so we're in a second phase of three phases of judgments. And then we'll get to the seven last plagues. That will be uh, after Easter. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about heaven and hell, what that looks like. And then uh, what, what it looks like when Jesus comes back. It's actually, I'm excited for that portion of the book. All right? So this is what we're going to go through today. The, 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 judgment, uh, the, the judgments of the trumpets are way more horrific than the seals. All right? So we will see here that if grace requires God's judgment, God's judgment is going to continue until his purposes culminate. And so today with the trumpet judgments... They are a lot more horrific, and they are really broken up in different three ways that we're going to see. There's going to be, a, there's going to be judgment on the environment, all right? There's going to be judgment spiritually, and there's going to be a judgment on humankind, all right? That's how we're going to divide up the judgments this morning of these seven trumpet judgments. So let's take a look at the environmental judgments. The environmental judgments, trumpet number one. And this is where a third of the vegetation is burned, all right? Revelation 8, 7. The first angel blew his trumpet... And hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. That's encouraging, all right? So we see a, a horrific scene here with trumpet number one. It's not just a false world of peace and then some war. We're seeing some horrific uh, things beyond uh, human, uh, you know, in the other, in the other eras. We, we saw that the humans were uh, the, the, the reason why these... Uh, bad things were happening. Now we're seeing things happen uh, in the environment and even what we'll see in the cosmos. And so we see here hail is falling down to the earth. Hail in the Bible is often uh, a picture of judgment in the Bible. Now, I believe that these things that we're reading today, I believe that they will really happen, okay? I don't, some people believe that they're just allegory and it's something, you know, it speaks of something else that's real. I believe that what John is seeing actually will happen. Uh, sometimes he struggles to put into words what he's seeing, all right? But there are certain words that he uses because this is a, a apocalyptic language. Apocalyptic language sometimes uses colorful language to uh, really give us a picture of what God is trying to say, all right? So hail in the Bible is often aligned with judgment. Many believe trumpet one depicts earthquakes that will trigger volcanic eruptions like the world has never seen. That's why you see fire mixed with blood, along with horrific weather. All right, so horrific weather, hail, volcanoes. How does, why are we going to have hail and volcanoes? Actually, there's an answer to that. Volcanic eruptions, I love this because this is where meteorology can come out. Volcanic eruptions can trigger what's called a dirty thunderstorm, all right? That sounds like a, you know, a rap album or something like that, like dirty thunderstorm, right? So, uh, but uh, a volcanic eruption will, will spew ash and moisture into the air, and the updraft actually creates a, a thunderstorm above uh, the volcano. So whenever you saw in a cartoon, the, the villain was living in an exploding volcano, and there was, like, lightning, that's real, all right? So hail was observed in, uh, in eruptions recently even in Iceland. And so as these dirty thunderstorms, these ash going to the sky, they create giant hailstones. And we'll notice that this is going to be so horrific, whatever's going on here, with the tectonic plates and earthquakes and volcanoes, that a third of the earth will burn up as a result of this volcanic activity. Uh, it's possible, too, I would imagine, as I'm speculating, that dormant fault lines and supervolcanoes could become alive during this time. Uh, one such volcano, I'm not saying this one will erupt during this time, it could, I don't know, uh, but I'm just going to give you an example. There was a supervolcano in Yellowstone. That if it were to erupt, ash would fall on the entire continental United States. Uh, in the states of Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, and, and uh, Idaho, they would be covered in three feet of toxic ash. 
So you can see that, that again, if, if not just one supervolcano, but many volcanoes around the uh, world uh, were to erupt, you can see that definitely a third of the world would, would be in trouble. Trumpet one will be a major environmental disaster. Sorry, Greenpeace. Um, a third of these trees will be gone, a third of the grass gone, and this will result in starvation, the scarcity of lumber for building, the loss of wildlife, and key ecological features in nature being destroyed. This judgment, by the way, I believe is a fulfillment of the indictment Paul laid out to the Roman church. In Romans 1.18, he said this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness, godlessness excuse me, and unrighteousness of people who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on and says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And so what we see here is that often people will, will, will rise up to things of the earth, uh, they'll worship the earth, they'll become uh, the, the, the things, their possessions in the earth become their gods. And when we begin to worship this life and this life only, or we begin to, to honor this life over eternal life, uh, that, is, that is, God doesn't like that. He wants us to be heavenly minded. He wants us to be uh, agents of the kingdom. And what we see here is the first trumpet judgment actually pulverizes the environment. Now, it doesn't mean that we right now, like, well, God's going to pulverize the environment, so uh, I'm going to start littering today. No, don't do that, all right? We're to take care of, uh, of this world, uh, but God will uh, begin to judge this world, showing us this is not our home. He's come to make all things new, and what we honor highly here, it, it, it's, it's going to be judged. Trumpet number two, we see that the judgments, again, are progressive. A third of the seas will be judged. Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Uh, as the earth was dealing with gigantic volcanic eruptions and dirty thunderstorms, something else had to happen, right? Oh, look, an asteroid's coming, all right? An asteroid began to hit the earth. And it hits the ocean, resulting in a third of the aquatic life dying. That's why we see blood is in the water. We also see a number of the ships are destroyed. I would imagine because this asteroid has hit the ocean, it's going to trigger a number of tsunamis. And so a number of even the dry land is going to be inundated uh, with, uh, with, with flooding. I believe that's why a third of the ships are going to be destroyed. Uh, it has to do with tsunamis. If you just YouTube a tsunami, you can see that ships are, are just absolutely pulverized uh, during such events. Uh, Alice and I, we were on a cruise one time when there was an earthquake off Kodiak Island, Alaska. Uh, we were in the Pacific in, in a cruise line. Uh, we, it was in the middle of the night. We were sleeping, but I, I woke up to uh, an alert on my phone, an emergency alert. And usually, you know, emergency alerts like, you know, hey, tornado, tornado, take cover, severe thunderstorm. This was the first tsunami warning. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Tsunami warning. I'm on the ocean. Oh, no. Right? So Allison was sleeping through the night. Didn't want to wake her up. Didn't want to, like, you know, freak her out. So I'm like, okay, what do I do? Like, I don't have any tsunami training. Like, what do you do? So I went over to our, our life vest, and I began to read meticulously at 3 in the morning all the instructions of our life vest just in case we were going to have a second episode of Titanic. All right? But, this, but the judgments in the end times, there'll be no time to read. There'll be no time to read the instructions from a flotation device. These judgments will come with little warning. I do believe this great mountain ablaze is a real asteroid, but mountains in the Bible also represent earthly kingdoms. And this is a reminder, we do not put our hopes in this world or its governments or our own prosperities. I remember uh, reading once the spiritual head of Russia in the early 1500s thought Russia was the direct successor to the Roman Empire. This is what he said. He was writing to the king. So now, so no pious king that all the Christian kingdoms came to an end and came together in a single kingdom of yours. Two Romes have fallen, the third stands, and there will be no fourth. No one shall replace your Christian stardom. According to the great theologian, his kingdom, his kingdom will last. I want, you to, I want you to listen to this. He said, two Romes have fallen and a third one stands and there will be no fourth. What he was saying is this. The great Russian empire, when it was arising in the 1500s, he was like, this is the last and final empire that will stand forever. Well, we know what happened in the early 1900s. The Soviets knocked them out of power and we know what happened in the Soviets in the early 1990s. And it's a cautionary tale to even to the United States that earthly kingdoms have an expiration date. But the kingdom of God has no expiration date. It's increasing 
and it will last forever. Jesus is king, and his kingdom cannot be shaken. And if you're in Christ, you are first a kingdom citizen. Amen? So what are you putting your hope in? If you've made Jesus your savior, you are a kingdom citizen entrusted with his gospel, which means his good news. You're entrusted to share it. Now, someone once asked me, you know, Andy, I hear you every week to say, you know, just share the gospel. I don't really know what to do. I think that was a really valid question. All right, so what, what, what do you do? How do you share the gospel? Well, there's, there's many different ways that you can connect people to Jesus. I think the easiest way, uh, especially if you don't know what words to say, is to take that invite card and invite them to church, all right? That's, that's a great way to do that. Second way is to begin to know what the Bible says, uh, what the gospel's all about. And there's a great app you can download. It's called Life in Six Words. Life in the number six words, all right? Life in Six Words. It's an app in the App Store. It's free, and it just really is a concise way to help share the good news of Jesus Christ. Download that. If you don't know, if, like, if you were to say, hey, if I were to just unleash you and say, hey, go share the gospel, and like, I don't know what to say, this app is for you, all right? It's not just to be like, share, okay, here's the next slide. It's not like that. It's for you to be able to internalize the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of his love. And another way is to share how Jesus has changed your life. Again, invite, know how to articulate the gospel, and share your testimony. And some people are like, well, I like one option over the other. I'm not telling you to pit one option against the other. Do all three. Make, do what makes sense. They begin to share the gospel. You're entrusted with it. You are a kingdom citizen. And so the kingdoms will be shaken. Uh, we see this. The asteroid is coming to the earth, causing tsunamis. And yet, the third trumpet, it gets even worse. A third ecological judgment occurs. The third of the fresh water is judged. Revelation 8, verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet... And a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven. It fell in the third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. So if asteroid was not enough, earthquakes, volcanoes, asteroid, enter in, who has this on their bingo sheet, a comet, all right? So a comet hits the earth, a star from heaven blazing like a torch, the scripture says. In the Greek, the torch is lampus, which was often used by the ancients to describe a comet. A comet called wormwood, which wormwood translates bitter. These waters, whatever happened with this comet, hits uh, the tributaries of the waters of the world. It made the waters bitter, probably went into the water tables, and a third of the world began to become sick drinking it and died. This wrecked havoc on on, on, the, on the, one of the building blocks of life, and that is our drinking water. The judgment continues. Trumpet number four, a third of the sky will be judged. Now, this one's really interesting. Revelation chapter eight, verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. I looked, and I heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe to those who live on the earth, because the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. So he's saying, Woe, you don't like what this is happening up in the sky? It's going to get worse. But what's happening in the sky? The sky is darkened. So not, not only are we having ecological damage on the planet, now we're seeing things in the cosmos go completely awry. We see that many stars burn out during this time. But I, what I think is way more um, important for the earth is a third of the sun's heat begins to be dimmed. You can imagine what that is going to do to weather on the earth. You can imagine what that's going to do to temperatures on the earth. A large part of the earth will become uninhabitable because of the frequency in, of, of temperatures. You can, you can imagine that people that are without electricity due to all the calamities and that the temperatures begin to plunge way below zero. I would imagine you're gonna see temperatures somewhere between 100 and 150 below zero uh, in areas that are not Antarctica or the North Pole. So you can see that this just gets worse upon worse upon worse. And people will pull together and you think at this moment they would say, we need God. Can you imagine this? If, if all these things happen, earthquakes, antichrist, one world government, uh, asteroids, comets, stars burning out, wouldn't you say, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. Billions of people gone. I'm listening. But the people pull together instead, not to God, but to find answers in themselves. They will turn to world leaders like the antichrist, but the, but the answers will not be found in him. 
They'll, 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 they'll change their online profiles with, we're in this together, all right? <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll have different songs that they'll sing. They'll have a new version of We Are the World, right? They'll, they'll, they'll cling together and in hopes that they can find the answer within themselves. But I want you to know, in this calamity, or even our many calamities that are in our life, the answers are not within ourselves. The answers are in the Lord God Almighty. And there's power when we get on our knees and say, God, I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to your truth. I'm submitting to everything. I want to be fully devoted. Fully devoted now. And there will be many people who will be fully devoted in that moment. It will cost them their lives, as we saw last week. Many will be martyred for it. But many people, they'll get stubborn and they'll pull together and they'll say, I'm going to find the answer in myself. These judgments are a warning to them. It's a warning to us that we need to be fully devoted to him right now to make all things new. And Jesus is promising to make all things new. The justice of Jesus must be executed. Grace requires God's judgment. So God turns his judgment from the environment and the cosmos to a second pericope, I guess you could say, a second part of judgment, and that is a spiritual judgment. So we had environmental judgment. Secondly, we had a spiritual judgment. And this is found in trumpet number five. Trumpet number five is increased demonic activity. Chapter seven, verse, or excuse me, chapter nine, verse one. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft of the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then locusts came out of the smoke on the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. Verse 11, they had, they had as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is abandoned. In Greek, his name is Apollyon. We see another star has fallen. We've had an asteroid. We've had a comet. Like, what else? Is it a planet? No. This isn't a star or, or a heavenly body uh, like an like a earth or, or, or a Mars or whatever, the moon. This star actually refers to Satan himself make no mistake satan is active right now but satan comes down like such like a thud because he was given something because of the wrath of god allowing him to receive something he doesn't have right now and that is the keys to the abyss notice this a star that had fallen from heaven to earth the key from the shaft to the abyss was given to him god's wrath was satan here are the keys that you can't have right now but now i'm giving to you Satan takes those keys and in victory he plummets back down to earth and he has these keys to the abyss. The abyss is mentioned throughout scripture as a place where some very evil demons have been imprisoned, many of whom have been imprisoned as early as Genesis chapter 6. This is where the most vile demons, uh, most demons by the way, are, are, are free to torment uh, earth today. All right? There are many de demonic influences on earth. Uh, Satan is, is active on earth as well. They're not omnipresent. There's just many of them. All right? So they can't be all, all places at once. They can only be at one place at once. Only God can be everywhere at once. And so demons are free to torment the earth. But there are a few demons that were so perverse and vile, they were chained. We see this in 2 Peter 2.4. It says, For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and deliver them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. We see there are, there are demons that are being chained. They're being chained in what is called a Hades or the abyss. These horrific demons have been in lo under lock and key for their vile and often sexual perverted aims until the wrath of God allowed Satan to have the key to unlock them. Now notice the description of, of this abyss. We see a shaft like smoke. It's like a great furnace. Again, these are, these are descriptions that we can, even, we can even see that are given to hell or the lake of fire. And we see this, this was a gigantic demonic jailbreak. The horror of the world through the environmental and the cosmo of judgments, uh, the judgments of the Antichrist and wars are going to pale in comparison to this demonic jailbreak. We see that there's so many of these demons that are being let loose that it's like a small swarm, it's like a large swarm of locusts, and their king is abandoned. Many people speculate that this king is Satan himself, but others are torn. Some others think it's a high-ranking demon. But make no mistake, as we read this, Satan and his demons are active right now. He seeks to kill and destroy you. He, he comes to, to divide your marriage, 
or your future marriage. He comes to, to, to tamper your view of sexuality. Uh, or, or, or if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he wants you to prevent you from knowing Jesus personally. Or if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you on the sidelines. He wants you, so, uh, he wants you to go back into your entanglements of sin so they can be not used to the fullest by God. He wants to keep you from sharing your faith. He wants to pour doubts in your minds. He wants to divide family, friends, and churches. And this should be no surprise because the Bible says he comes to seek, kill, and destroy. He also comes like an angel dressed as light. Did you know that? He, comes, he doesn't come around with a little pitchfork and horns like you see at Halloween. Oftentimes he comes very pious. And he says things that are almost sound true. That almost sound biblical. Satan knows the Bible. He quoted it to Jesus when Jesus was being tempted in the desert. Satan has the Bible memorized. Did you know that? Memorized. But he doesn't memorize to follow it. He memorizes it to twist it. And make no mistake, there are people today that know the Bible inside and out. Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they have podcasts now. They know it really well, but they don't know it well. They don't know it well, and they're not speaking of it in a way so that you become fully devoted to Jesus, but to twist it so that you have doubts, to twist it so that you follow something other than Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Satan does. He knows the Bible, so he twists it. I have a really, let's take this in. This isn't supposed to be a judgment question or judgmental, but do you think Satan knows the Bible better than you? Now, here's the deal. Some of you are brand new to this. I haven't read the Bible my whole life. That's, that, that's not a statement like, why, why don't you know it? It's a statement that should put us on notice, that Satan knows the Bible, which means you need to know the Bible so that when Satan pre presents something 70% true, right, you know that it's 100% wrong because what he's presenting wrong negates what he's talking about. Does that make sense? You need to know your Bible. You need to get in your Bible. You need, to, you need to drink in your Bible, meditate on your Bible, and let the Bible, what the God's word says to you, be the supreme court of how you live. And when you know God's word, guess what you can be in to hear in your everyday life? God's leading. You can be able to hear his voice over your own voice or even over the enemy's voice. Satan corrupts the gifts of the Spirit. He corrupts the fruit of the Spirit. He corrupts worship. He makes the Christian faith, the church, not about Jesus. What Satan wants to make the church all about, he wants it to make it about me, 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 and you, you, you. He wants to focus off the cross, and he wants to focus on anything else. The minute the church takes the focus off the cross and puts it primarily on something else, you need to know we're off. We're off. His end goal is for confusion, to obey the word only halfway, to bootleg prophetic words, to cause division, to cause confusion, so that his agenda will play out. But we must be Bible Christians filled with the Holy Spirit Christians, uh, gospel advancing Christians. We must reach people who are currently far away from God. Satan has a vision for you, and he has a vision for the church, but it's not about you as he says it is. It's not about me as he says it is. It's all about Jesus. But this is God's church. It's not our own. He purchased it by his blood. And the cross is our vision. We are not our own. Satan is active. And the fifth trumpet will unlock the worst of the worst. And in Revelation, just when things could get, things could get worse, they do. Because he moves from spiritual judgment to human judgment. Trumpet number six. We see a third of the humankind is killed. Revelation chapter nine, verse 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. From the four horns of the golden altar, as before God, I heard a voice, and I say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, the day, and the month, and the year was released to kill a third of the human race. And the number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. Verse 20, the rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands and stopped worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual morality, or their thefts. These again, what we see here, there's angels released, four of them specifically. These again are chained demons that are being released. Some theologians believe these demons were once uh, influential over empires. The book of Daniel provides some context of this, where we see demonic influence over nations. 
So the purpose of these demons was to kill a third of what was left of humanity. And we see an army of 200 million marching. Now, some people believe this is a human army uh, out of the east. In fact, some people believe that it could be modern-day China or Russia. That's speculatory. I don't know. I tend to believe this 200 million is probably demonic in nature. Whether there are people that are demonically possessed, we just simply don't know. But it is a gigantic army coming to take on, to slay a third of the world. Now, again, I ask this question. If all these things were happening, wouldn't you think the world would get on their knees and say, Jesus we need you. But we see in verse 21, they did not repent. Repent in the original language, it's metanao. It means to, to change your mind. Uh, to, uh, eventually changes your heart, changes your way of life. They did not repent. They were stubborn. They were foolish. And they continued in their worship of their possessions. They were violent. They continued in their sexual immorality. And if the third of the world dies by demonic third of forces, if a third of the earth was burnt up, if a third of the water was no good, they did not repent. Now I want us to think about this. Let's apply this to our life. Let's allow us to sink in for a moment so we can understand our own hearts. If a world was witnessing all these calamities and yet they were still hard-hearted, they were like, ah, oh, no, 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 we're gonna still do this together. We don't need God. How do you think we, in a time of plenty, in a time of abundance, how do you think our hearts are gonna respond? Think we're gonna be more open to the things of God? No, we often say, if things get really bad, then we'll go after God. We see things get really bad and the world is still not going after God. Which means this, we need to know that our hearts are so easily fooled. Our hearts are fooled into thinking that we don't need God or to be fully devoted. Oh, Revelation, it is a warning to be ready. It is by his grace that we have this entire book. It is by his grace that the judgments are progressive, allowing people to still have time, even in the seven years, to give their life to Jesus. It's by his grace that it's just one third. I don't know if you've noticed that. All the progressive judgments are only a third. It could have been 90%. It could have been 99%. It could have been 100%. But if, whenever it's not 100%, it's grace. It's grace. Because not one of us deserves anything. Whenever we see evils in the world, we often ask God, where are you? He says, I'm here. Will you listen? He says, I'm here. For every tornado, hurricane, earthquake, or death. If you stand here today and you've gone through massive calamity, I want you to know it's by God's grace you can stand here today and say, I've survived. It's by God's grace you can stand here today and talk about it. And often when we, when we survive something, often when we go through something and we stand to talk about it, we do not give God the praise. We do not acknowledge his grace. We look back and say, God, why'd you do that? It's okay to ask questions, but never at the expense of saying, God, here I stand because you're a God of mercy and grace. I don't deserve another breath. I don't deserve another heartbeat, but I stand here because of your grace and your mercy. God owes us nothing because sin is treason to God. Because sin separates us from Almighty God. We don't deserve anything but His wrath. But the good news and hope is this. He's so rich of love and mercy that He's going to give you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a 77th chance, a 777th chance, a 7 million and 777th chance, a 7 billion, a 7 trillion. He is always there to give you grace. Amen, church? We have another day, we have more grace. And when you place your faith in him, your sins are forgiven forever. Let's pray and let's respond accordingly. Father, I pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior. God, I pray right now they would say, Jesus, I want to get right with you. So Father, if there's anybody in this room right now that's not right with you, maybe they don't know they're going to heaven, uh, maybe maybe they've, they've never asked you personally to be their savior, that right now is the day. Right now is the day. In fact, as we continue to pray, I just want to speak to anybody in this room right now. If you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, by God's grace, he's giving you that opportunity to do that right now. You might be thinking, oh man, you don't know my story. Yeah, God knows your story, and he wants to receive you right now. How cool is that? He wants to take every single one of your sins in the past, in the present. You're like, even this morning? Yes, even this morning. You mean last night? Yep, even last night. He wants to take all of your sins in the future, and he wants to wipe them clean. 
He wants to forgive you. And he did this, and he's able to do this. Because sin separates us from Almighty God. There's not one good work we can do to try to get us to God. That's what religion speaks. This isn't about religion. This is about relationship. Jesus came to this world to dwell with us, to live, to die, to go to the cross. And when he was nailed to the cross, the wrath of God was poured upon him. He saw every single one of your sins, past, present, future. He said, it is finished. He died on the cross three days later because he's a perfect sinless sacrifice. He rose from the dead and now we have a response. And this is how, this is how you receive forgiveness. Saying, Jesus, I trust you. I place my faith and trust that you died on the cross for me. I place my faith and trust that you rose to the dead for me and that you forgave me my sins. I want forgiveness. If you want the forgiveness of Jesus today, you want to make him personal, you want to place your faith and trust in him right now, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, we just slip up your hands and say, yeah, it's me. I want to place my faith and trust in him right now. I want Jesus. I need Jesus. I need him in my life. Jesus, will you come into my life? I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand up high and say, yeah, it's me. Raise your hand doesn't save you. You're just indicating it. I'm going to pray for you this week. Anybody else? Awesome. As we continue to pray, I want you to look at the prep kit for this week. Just You can, you can peek now. It's going to be on the screen. Take a look at this. How will you be a witness this week to Kenosha? Where do you need to respond with obedience to his word and identify where the battle is fierce and give God the battle? These are the three things. This is your prep kit for this week, right? Talking about the end of the world, got to have a prep kit. How will you be a witness this week in Kenosha? How? Answer that. All right? This is a response. Where do you need to respond with obedience to, to his word as you search out your heart? Maybe you, during communion this came to light. Where do you need to respond with obedience to his word? Maybe there's been things that you've been fudging on in your life. You're like, you know what? God, I'm finally going to give this to you. This is going to be hard. I'm giving this to you. Third thing, identify where the battle is fierce. Where, what is taking over your mind, your heart, your affections? Where have you just been stewing on that? Give that to God. All right? Give that to God. So, Father, I just pray for the church right now. I just pray that everybody in this room, that Spirit of God, that you would come, you would fill this place, and that you'd speak to us. Maybe even bring hidden things in our heart right now that, that you want. So, God, speak to us. Just give some moments. Allow God to speak to you. Where are those things in your heart you need to give to him? Put names in the minds, God, of those that you want them to connect with this week. Heavenly Father, I pray things that have been fierce that we're holding on tight we would just let go and give to you God Spirit of God meet with us thanks again for listening to this week's episode if you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Kenosha City Church lastly if you enjoyed this episode we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode at Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.